Konnichiwa, this is Erika. Hey everyone, this is Farine, and we're smashing the patriarchy one episode at a time. listening to Super Smash Hoes. Today, we're going to talk about COVID-19 and that in relation to feminism and some other social issues. Yeah, so um, before we get started, we know that there's a lot of information circulating right now about coronavirus and COVID-19, and it can feel a little bit overwhelming. We totally understand that. There's a lot of fear that's spreading. There's a lot of anxiety. And the last thing we're trying to do is to add to that anxiety um and you know the the situation is changing every single day so um we know that it can be a lot to keep up with but there are some really important feminist issues that we wanted to highlight um without adding too much to the to the already overwhelming 24 7 news cycle that's existing exactly and rather than just talking about you know, how many people are infected and all of that. We, like Farine said, we want to take a different um, perspective and look at this issue. We almost didn't talk about this because we're, I mean, we're also overwhelmed and I know we're, um, everyone is too um, with the amount of information, but we think it's um, this perspective of, um, you know, looking at it from a feminist point of view and just looking at, how marginalized people are being affected from this crisis isn't being talked about enough. So we wanted to talk about it today. So we hope you enjoy. Yeah, we really hope you enjoy this episode. Um, and actually like have discussions with us on over on our social media on Instagram because we it's obviously heavy and it's ever-changing. And I think there's going to be more interesting conversations to come in the next few days, which I think is really cool. Um, so people might be wondering how coronavirus is affect like has a gendered impact anyways so currently more men than women die from coronavirus um but that doesn't mean the virus isn't having a gendered impact and i think the other thing i really want to highlight throughout this episode is that coronavirus isn't just a health crisis this isn't just a pandemic but it's an economic crisis um i think a lot of us are already aware of that if anybody saw the stock market um crash a couple days ago and for our purposes and for our particular interests it's also a social crisis and a social crisis with a particularly gendered impact yes and I think we were when we started talking about this together before we were you know um, especially interested in um, employment insurance and um... yeah so um, I think like a little bit of background because I think a lot of people, you know, might be experiencing this right now. You're probably at home in quarantine or Mm -hmm. self-isolation working from home. Um, And that idea of working from home, it's really interesting um, because as Erica just said, it ties deeply with this idea of employment insurance. And when we think about human rights, we think about human rights as, you know, um, cultural rights. We don't really think about economic rights. Um, But human rights have an economic component, even though we don't always think about it. And there's actually an international covenant on economic, social, and cultural rights. It's called the ICE, 
SCR. And within that, um, it explicitly says that states have a responsibility to make sure citizens can enjoy their economic and social rights. This means states have to use the maximum available resources and they have to refrain from doing things like cutting public services. Um, Article 9 of the ICESCR specifically states that all citizens and all people um, have the right to social security and states need to provide adequate income in times of economic crises. So we see that COVID-19 is an economic crisis and with more and more people being told to isolate, to work from home, to, um, you know, not go to their jobs, you see this need for social security becoming ever stronger, um, especially for women. And in Japan, like about 70% of irregular or yeah, irregular work is done by women. And so, um, and there's not a lot of social protection for um, people who work that type of job, you know, dispatch work and whatnot. So I, and I personally know some family members or relatives who are in that type of situation. So I just wanted to, yeah, it feels quite personal as well. Um, and we wanted to highlight that. Yeah. So um, as Erica said, we're not trying to say that men don't go through this, but statistics show us that like disproportionately women make up larger proportions mm-hmm. of the people who are doing um, informal and part-time labor. So like according to the British government, 40% of employed women work in part-time compared to only 13% of men. And I think understanding employment um, and the types of job women do is really important. I'm not sure if we made it clear, but um, social security can be accessed in a few different ways. One way is when it's tied to your employment. Um, what happens is you as an employee and your employer both contribute some money into something like pensions or security. And you can access this if there's job loss or sickness or retirement. Um And then there's alternate models, which is more the European style, where everybody pays taxes and that's redistributed. Um, But even in those cases, there's still strong employment-related benefits. And in countries like Japan and in countries like the U.S. in particular, employment insurance is the the main way to access Social Security. Um, And so if women are disproportionately working in informal jobs where they don't have access to employment-based insurance, they are more vulnerable when they're working from home because they're not getting paid to work from home or they can't work from home the way that we think about it because a lot of people have the luxury of working from home and getting paid. But if you work in an informal job, um, what's more likely to happen is you'll be laid off or you'll be told you know, not to come into work and that you won't get paid because there's no insurance to cover you. Right. And um, as Vreen was saying, so when it comes to um, employment, women face a lot of structural barriers in assessing social security. Um, Like I said earlier, women are disproportionately represented in informal or part-time work or dispatch work um, because of responsibilities that, you know, are related to childcare or caring for the elderly, things like that, and a gender you know, division of labor overall. And there are a lot of types of jobs deemed suitable for women, um, more so the men um, in informal work, 
um, such as cleaning or, you know, cleaners or also nurses as well. There's a lot of, there's a lot more women than men in a lot of countries um, who take on this job. And so women are very vulnerable. I'm not saying that, you know, we're not saying that men aren't vulnerable to the virus or they're not affected at all. We're not saying that whatsoever, but that there is a disproportion in certain types of jobs um, and that's not being recognized. And like, I know for a fact that in Japan, I think we may have talked about this before as well, but the, um, the nature of how employment security or yeah, employment security works um, is so the foundation of it is it's founded on, you know, a patriarchal, you know, nuclear family structure. So women aren't able to already earn a high income because if they earn more money than a certain point, they're not eligible to, um, you know, receive, or um, I don't want to say anything wrong, but um, I know that it's not, they can't receive the same benefits or it's not, doesn't make sense to stay in their husband's, you know, um, employment security plan. So like on top of that, like that already exists and they, they're not able to earn a lot of money and you like already, but on top of that, you know, in situations like this, like they're very vulnerable. Yeah. I think getting into the nitty gritty of how, um, employment insurance or insurance in general is tied to ideas of the nuclear family and who's a dependent, um, is, really interesting it's also really messy and that's not totally the focus of today so if we get something slightly wrong like a minute detail about how these systems perfectly work apologies in advance because they're quite broad um the other thing i wanted to bring attention to um that's particular about women um and we we talked about it in abstract you know they do part-time work or they do informal work or the types of work they do is very different from men's work which makes them more vulnerable and two things in particular that really stand out during coronavirus more than ever are the significance of women as caregivers and the significance of women as nurses and their experiences um, as a result of this pandemic, I think, deserve to be highlighted. So, um, you know, most most of the individuals who are doing care care giving roles, um, which are jobs like teachers, um, domestic nannies, house cleaners, home care workers who work with the elderly. Um, These are mostly women. And to be more specific, they're mostly women of color and they're mostly immigrant women who um, are all on minimum wage. And this is all a type of informal work. These women do not have access to benefits, um, which we already talked about a little bit, but they are extremely, extremely essential to the fight against coronavirus. Um, You know, caregivers are the ones who are providing some of the frontline essential work that we need. They're looking after the vulnerable elderly. They are the ones who are taking care of kids while um, government workers or hospital workers are going in to treat people. 
and they don't have the luxury of working from home. Right. And um, earlier we watched a um, live stream of um, about, you know, this issue um, and one of the presenters um, was saying that, you know, there are a lot of nurses who aren't getting tested and they have to work even if they have the virus or they don't, you know, they're not sure if they have the virus. This is in the context of the States. Um, and most women are nurses. And yes, so, you know, it's very clear that there's a gendered, this is a gendered issue. Um, and I think an important point to highlight is that these issues aren't something that, you know, they're not just popping up. They're already existing issues in society that are structural and, you know, you know, um, they're maintained constantly. They're just, you know, more visible now because of this huge pandemic happening. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that you you bring up that this isn't just occurring now. It's a structural issue that's always existed. Um, and I think we often have a tendency to to look at people who do these types of professions, to look at women, immigrant women who work as cleaners or caretakers or nannies or nurses in elder care homes as, you know, minimum wage. You know, they hustle job to job. They might be on welfare, so they are considered disposable. Um, but I think if this virus has shown us anything, it's that these are the people who are essential to our world running, and um, they're the ones who are helping us fix this problem. It's not it's not investment bankers, it's not you know people sitting at Wall Street. It's it's not that. It's not everyone we usually think of, or it, it's not the Jeff Bezos of the world. It's not Bill Gates. Well, Bill and Melinda Gates as a foundation may, might be different, um, but it's not the billionaires. You know, the people that we normally think of as running the world are not the people who are essential here. They can all work from home. Yeah. They're not needed to go to their jobs day to day. Yeah. Well, I I actually have some mixed thoughts about that because I do think that you know people with privilege or money, they're able to, you know, I, I know that, um, you know, like you said, like Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, they're, they invest a lot on, in vaccines and that type of research. And I know that they're, you know, sure, there are a lot of wealthy um, individuals who don't necessarily do anything in this situation that helps, but there are people who do as well. And I do think that makes a difference, but I think the big difference is that they have social protection. They can afford the, you know, they have that yeah. type of security, whereas people like who are marginalized don't have that um, privilege or they don't have, I think, you know, I think, yeah, what I meant was not that they're useless. Yeah. Um, obviously, <laughs> yeah. they're not. There's so many people, so many celebrities who have come out, donate, like yeah. Rihanna donated $5 million to um, help fight coronavirus. There's a lot of people doing with money doing a lot of great things. Yeah. Um, I think kind of what I meant more by that was that it really shows us how undervalued our society treats yeah. no, definitely. Um, women in, in low-paid jobs. I think that's more what I meant, obviously. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, 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 I get yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, I definitely think so too. Um, like, 
like you said, yeah, women like, you know, who are working as nurses, like they're so vulnerable, like physically, mentally, you know, Mm -hmm. they're under so much strain and risk, but they're not getting the right resources. Like I know in the States, the uh, CDC told the nurses to use bandanas and wrap it around their mouths and noses if they run out of masks and things like that. Which like, if you did that in a non-pandemic time, you would get fired for having or poor hygiene. Or, yeah. Um, there was a quote in this webinar that we watched earlier that I, I really enjoyed. Um, they said that the most necessary people in our society are being treated as the most disposable. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be really clear, the most a lot of these people who are part of the most necessary group um, are women. They're the ones who are on the front lines. Mm-hmm. So while, you know, going back to how we started this episode, while women might not be dying um, from coronavirus at the same rate as men from the physical um, virus, the violence, the systemic violence of the virus, is that too many Vs? Did that, I hope that came out clearly. <laughs> Sorry, mm-hmm. guys. The violence of the pandemic is disproportionately affecting women. And I don't think it's doing it in a new way. It's just doing it in a stronger way than it normally does. I agree. Yeah, and it's more obvious since the whole world is being affected by this as well. And people are talking about it. Um, But still, yeah, it's... I don't think that despite the amount of coverage and intensity of it, the these issues aren't being addressed enough at all. Yeah, I think the other interesting thing is that um, it's really easy to see all of these problems, like we just talked about, like care workers and, and nurses being treated poorly, um, as, as something that's a new problem. We might blame it on Trump. We might blame it on the pandemic. We might say, oh, this is new. But um, as Erica, I think you mentioned this earlier in the podcast as well. It's not new. It's systemic. It's institutional. And it's been around since the 1980s. And, you know, it will, at least in the American context, but around the world with the rise of, of neoliberalism more broadly. It's not just the US, but everywhere in the world, even in the UK and Japan, we've seen this kind of rollback of social security, welfare, and this ever creeping neoliberal and austerity politics. Oh, yeah, definitely. And yeah, it's a it's a class, race, and gender issue, um, as is most, you know, um, big issues. But um, yeah, harms are d- experienced differently. And depending on who you are, what, you know, what intersecting um, identities you have, you experience these issues differently yeah and I think um, a lot of people have called this this virus like the great equalizer you know the virus doesn't care if you're you're black or white or or Chinese or British if you live in a big city or if you're from a rural place and that argument has its merits yeah it, it doesn't the virus doesn't care necessarily about that but Another quote that came out really well in this webinar is we're all equal, but some of us are more equal than others. And it's this idea that while the virus has the equal chance of affecting us all, like, you know, our health and our immunity, our access 
to resources to deal with the virus is different based on where you're located, um, what, like what race you're from, what ethnicity you are, your age, your gender, all of that will impact your ability to deal with the virus. Um, your job, as you said earlier, like if you're a nurse, sure, you don't have the same right, um, you know, to go get treatment because mm-hmm. you're being told by your employer to keep working. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, If you're in the UK and you get coronavirus, you can walk into a hospital and get treated and you don't have to pay for it. Or if you think you have coronavirus, you can go get a test for free. But if you're in America and don't have health insurance, um, you have to pay for your treatment and you have to pay just to get tested, which, you know, it shows us that, yeah, the virus might affect you equally, but it's not, it's not equal harm. No, it's not really. Um... Yeah, I agree with everything you said. I think it's really interesting looking at the case of a country like America because it's clear, you know, the racial aspect is a lot clearer than it is in some other countries. Like in Japan, I think it's more of a gendered issue than it is, um, I'm not saying than it is in America, but we don't have the same racial, um, you know, aspect because it's a more homogenous society. But still, I know that, you know, we know that like in Tokyo, you know, a lot of the convenience store workers are, you know, like Nepalese or um, there are a lot of foreigners who work these um, low wage jobs. And I know it's mm-hmm. not necessarily the same as nurses, but there are people who are marginalized, who are more vul- vulnerable in um, more homogenous countries as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, gosh, I feel like I could talk about this part of it for like forever. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other thing I've been thinking about a lot, and I think this is something that probably a lot of people have been thinking about, is um, the the racism aspect. Yes. Um, yeah. And, you know, we have heard a lot of crazy things from Mr orange face shit face trump and i think it's really i have a lot of thoughts about what trump is saying and the hate that he's spreading but i think it's also interesting because the virus shows us more and more that we're you know a global community and it doesn't the virus doesn't really give a fuck about borders yet we see so much race blaming yeah and not even just you know of of course it happens everywhere like i um, a month or so ago when I was in Japan before I was in the States back in Japan now but when I was here um, I've I encountered I haven't seen you know a lot of racism but I've definitely seen some racism towards um, Chinese people as well within um, you know Japan so I think it's othering definitely happens everywhere um and you know it's I think a lot of it in this a lot of incidences in America are highlighted because of the history and kind of dynamic of society there but it definitely happens everywhere and I think um in the webinar we were watching earlier um the presenters were talking about how a lot of the media coverage has been a lot of you know, it's been very like Europe and US centric. Um, it has been covered because it's, you know, 
it's where it started as well but like african countries haven't been nearly as covered at all um i read that some countries are um combating the issue quite well some not as much but just you know the mere coverage of um african countries you know not being covered enough i think that also shows how like what our values are like and you know who we think is important in this world Mm -hmm. it's really unfair yeah that is it's really interesting because it makes you think more and more of how it's it's interesting um the past few days so for people who don't know i just came back to canada two or three days ago i was in london up until then um and because of the pandemic i decided to come back home to canada because the canadian government was you know quite positive that the country was going to be on lockdown soon and that if you want to come home you should come home now so came home spent some time with my parents but sorry that wasn't the point of my little rant my point was that um so when i was in london we saw these things happening with the uk government right the uk government was making decisions every day and they were making decisions kind of based on what Italy and other European countries were doing. And then I was watching the Canadian news because I was going back to Canada. So I was checking, oh, what's the Canadian government doing? And they were making a few calls. And then now that I'm back home, I'm looking at oh, what's the American government doing. And what I'm learning is that everybody, every country, um, at least in the three countries I've been paying attention to recently, but even Japan, because I keep up to date with Japanese news is doing something different. They're all kind of handling it in their own little bubble. And there's almost this mentality. And I'm not saying that they're not talking to each other. They are. I, I know that they've had G7 meetings um, over technology and stuff. And that they're, they're trying to coordinate, but it still seems like the action that each country is taking is so isolated. Yeah. And they seem to be working on their own little timelines. They're not very coordinated. And it just makes you, it just reminds you that this is a really globalized world and and the virus proves that and the lack of cooperation and ability to work together i mean countries are so worried about their citizens their citizens but there isn't this kind of global cry of countries working together right and i think when it comes to like a nation state level it's also a big i definitely agree with what you said but like it's i think it's an issue of not having you know the institutional like structures of Mm -hmm. because even if you know um the head of state or you know presidents or whatever prime ministers communicate unless they have the right organizations within i think countries to help better communicate i don't think they can productively work together if that makes sense like for example the u.s has you know the cdc japan doesn't have an equivalent um and so i think Mm, countries just yeah we don't have a like disease control type of institution um so i think within countries it's very different how you know how they deal with it too but also just organization wise um Mm-hmm. So I understand it's really difficult. And also on top of that, like people are kind of panicking, you know, so it's difficult yeah. to communicate. But yeah, I definitely agree with what you said. 
yeah um and sorry i've had a little mental lapse would That's you like right. to continue for a moment of course um <laughs> and i think earlier you were talking about um cases of domestic violence increasing in quarantine so mm. that um you know women That's are isolated issue. yeah from com- their communities social not for networks and are at greater risk of domestic violence of course this you know can happen to men as well we just know that there are more reported cases of women with dv um but that's certainly an issue people who are you know at risk when it comes to domestic violence they're not able to access um their you know social support um and women shelters are already overstaffed and they have to return um and have to turn women and children away um, they have to turn women and children away, um, and there is less less possibility for a woman to reach out for help if an abuser, if, if an abusive partner is around, you know, twenty four seven. If you're at home with them all the time. Mm-hmm. The other um, interesting thing is that th- this this feminist issue actually, unlike the domestic care work issue. And the nurses issue, this has actually been on at least the Canadian government's radar. Um, I can't speak to every government in the world right now dealing with coronavirus. That would be a lot to keep up with. But the Canadian government has pledged $50 billion in funding for women's shelters because they realize that this, this is, there's going to be a big spike in domestic violence. And um, actually, an interesting thing is one of the biggest crime um types of crime that occurs in uh, Calgary, which is the city I'm from in Canada, is domestic violence. Mm-hmm. Very weird. I don't know why, but anyways, the Canadian government has pledged $50 billion to, um, as a result of coronavirus to women's shelters. And um, this is great. I am not trying to diminish that. This is great. The thing is, though, um, and this comes from a woman who actually runs one of these women's shelters in Ontario, she said that the centers are already overstretched. And now that there is going to be an increase of women and children who need help, that 50 billion, you know, that 50 billion was needed before the crisis hit, before um, coronavirus hit. So now they're dealing with, you know, an already weakened budget, increasing numbers of people coming. And it's, it's great that they have gotten this funding. But she predicts that it will not, it still will not be enough to deal with the issue effectively. That's not to say that um, it's not good that the government has injected this funding. It It's good because it shows it recognizes it's an issue. Mm-hmm. But that just because the money is there doesn't mean that the issue is going away because it's not nearly enough. Of course. And I think, you know, I didn't actually, to be honest, I didn't even really think about this issue until you brought it up. Because, like, in Japan, people, we know that domestic violence, of course, it happens everywhere, and it can happen to anyone, but I haven't heard a single person talk about this issue here, Um, and there's certainly, the government certainly isn't focusing on this issue, or they're not recognizing it as um, a consequence, you know, a consequence partial consequence of um this pandemic as well so i think it's really cool that you brought it up and um so yeah if 
Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned that because it also shows you what a society values. So, Definitely. you know, we've both lived in Japan. Um, we know that domestic violence isn't on the agenda anyways. So why would it appear now? Uh, domestic violence has been on the Canadian agenda for a while because there's a strong feminist lobby that has pushed for that. Um, and yeah, it's really interesting that you say that because when you compare how different countries frame different things, it shows you that this this not that this isn't a legitimate concern it's just not a government concern or an agenda concern yeah um in the japanese context which i think is obviously depressing but interesting definitely and yeah talking about you know what governments care about and issues like we know that you know the japanese government just announced yesterday i believe that they're not um after the prime minister talking with IOC that they're not going to have the Olympics, the Olympics and Paralympics this year. Um, and suddenly the number of cases of affected people in Tokyo rose. <laughs> so we're just overnight. Everybody was like, well, I'm going to go get coronavirus now. <laughs> no, but yeah. So like, I mean, we know that, you know, to give you some background for any listeners, like you can only get tested here if you have severe symptoms um, people are still out and about, you know, going on picnics to view cherry blossoms um, in crowded places or, you know, going about like whatever with their lives as usual. Um, and the governor of Tokyo announced yesterday yesterday that she might, she wants to, um, she doesn't want people to go out unless they have um, an urgent, you know, whatever they have to do um, for the weekend, but that's not enough. And she mentioned that we might have um, a similar, you know, self-isolation type social distancing um, in the future. But just because I was just in America until like two, three days ago and seeing how things are here, it's just such a big difference in people's attitudes and it's so shocking. So yeah, I just wanted to mention that. But yeah. Yeah, that's, um, it, it's hard to, I mean, even just me going from London to Canada, I've seen a big difference in the attitudes people have towards this, which is, it's really interesting. Different people and different governments are dealing with it um, mm-hmm. in really different ways. Something that just occurred to me, and I, I have no information about this. It's just a thought. It's something I'm curious about. I'm sure... Even if I Googled it right now, I wouldn't be able to find a lot of information about it. But it's something that might be interesting to look out for as things develop with coronavirus. Um, is As you mentioned, Erica, there are a lot of foreign workers in Japan. We think about Japan as a very homogenous Japanese-only place. Yeah, it's But not. there, are, there yeah. are a lot of foreign workers. Um, they come from other Asian countries, South Asian, East Asian, whatever. There's, there's a big number of foreign workers. And we know that they're often not treated very well. Mm-hmm. Um, in the Japanese context. There's also quite a few asylum seekers in Japan. And it would be interesting to know what they are um, experiencing, the rights they have to accessing healthcare, uh, because they also work in informal sectors, like we talked about before. Um, and what is the impact on them? And mm-hmm. a lot of these foreign workers, because I know the Japanese law for foreign workers is that they can't bring their family with them. Yeah. So as a result of the corona, like, so bringing it back to my case, as the pandemic got worse, um, my decision was I want to go to Canada and be with my family 
Now, that was a decision I had the luxury to make. Foreign workers in Japan, and I'm assuming because they're not allowed to bring their family with them, are they also allowed to leave their jobs and go back? I'm assuming not without getting fired. Like, right. Yeah, I assume I, I don't not know without getting fired. Um, and I'm sure, like, even if they even if they leave, I don't think they can, they definitely, or I don't want to say definitely, but I assume that it would be very, very difficult to come back to their jobs because a lot of the jobs don't have that type of, you know, they don't have that privilege and these type of of social security. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I think it's really interesting that you brought up um, refugees and like people who, you know, seek to asylum seekers in Japan as well, because, um, well, we know for a fact that the situation in regards to, you know, acceptance of refugees and asylum seekers and their rights in Japan is very, you know, it's a very depressing issue and it's not, people don't really talk about it enough. People don't really, yeah, it's not, you know, something that's addressed enough as much as it is in other countries and yeah I was just thinking about it how they're managing um I know that people who seek asylum in Japan they're not allowed to work until they um receive their refugee status and that can take years and like not being able to work already and being in in this situation that's so terrifying like that must be so stressful um and I think this issue we can talk about again in more depth um, in another episode, but yeah, that's a really good point that you brought up, I think. Yeah, I feel like, um, there's so many intricacies and I think the more that coronavirus develops, the more all of these intricacies and nuances will be more visible to people. Like I think right now the mainstream media is focused, um, not on gender, not on refugees, not on marginalized people, but, um, on the masses and and maybe the West and Europe. And so, I think time will tell us the real impact this is having because obviously it's it's still early days. There's a lot of speculation. There's a lot of we're looking at systems as they are, but things might change. This could be a turning point. Um, another thing that I wanted to just kind of bring to, to attention or to highlight is so we've talked a lot about how these inequalities are already existing within our social structure and coronavirus is only highlighting them or bringing them to our attention, but that these are systemic problems that we already know of. And we can draw a parallel here between other crises that we've had in our history. So in the most recent memory, one that me and Erica can both you know, remember, is the 2008 financial crash. crash. And it was another tor- turning point in our society um, where the wealth and inequality really became stark. And something that we saw during or as a result of 2008 financial crisis was a concerted effort to organize and to dissent and to demand change. And you saw things like Occupy Wall Street. And the difference this time, um, which is really interesting and which is going to have interesting implications for how governments deal with this and how people demand for better systems, is that as a result of this whole idea of social distancing, the idea of organizing, the idea of coming together for demanding change physically isn't actually as strong as it was if we look back to 2008 and we look back to different protest movements and different moments when people come together physically to demand something 
from their governments. So, you know, in this era of social distancing, how we use collective action to demand change and transform our institutions is it's going to be really interesting. And it's going to be things like social media, like sharing podcasts, like sharing articles, like talking to your friends um, on the internet. That's really going to constitute the bulk of how we change their systems in this current system um, or in this current context, sorry, which I think is just another really interesting thing to think about when we look at crises and the opportunities we have to transform our social institutions through crises. Um, I don't know if I have anything, I mean, I have a lot more to add, but I feel like then we'll be here for days. I don't know if I have anything imminent I want to add. Do you have anything else? You know, as we've talked about, it shows us that these inequalities exist already in society and they just are more visible and they're magnified in this pandemic. Um, And it's important to talk about these issues, especially because, you know, where it's not like we can really go out and interact with people. So I think talking about it online like this um, is important. Or if you can talk about it with your family, I think even though that doesn't really seem like a big action, I think the more people talk about it, it definitely helps. Um, And yeah, and, you know, hopefully we can learn more from this pandemic. Um, Obviously, there's a lot that still needs to be done, but I think recognizing that there are issues, not just now, but, you know, there are issues and inequalities that always exist um, can help, you know, it can help us move towards better societies as well. So hopefully we can learn a lot from this as well. Yeah, um, I'm not going to add anything to that, Erica. That was really well said. Um, I'd love to hear everybody else's thoughts. Please engage with us on social media when we post this. Things are going to be changing in the next couple of days, in the next couple of weeks, in the next couple of months. Um, Yeah, and I'd love to hear everyone's thoughts about this. Um, And we'd love if you shared this episode with your friends. It's a great way to start the conversation. Um, Thank you. And thank you so much for listening. And follow us on social media at Super Smash Bros. Podcast. Thank you. And also... um, we are thinking about doing more like Instagram lives since like we both also have a lot of time as well and we want to use this time to interact more with you guys since we have that opportunity so please let us know like how you want to do that if you enjoy the lives um and yeah just please feel free to communicate with us and we'll try to put out more content in general as well thank you